Hey, what's up everyone? It is Pastor Marcus here from the storychurchproject.com. Welcome to the Story Church Project podcast where our focus is how to redesign the local Adventist church to tell its story loud to a culture that is no longer listening. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today. Hey everyone, it's Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church Podcast. Today we want to talk about how to do evangelism in a post-Christian secular context. Now this is a huge conversation uh, with so many different variables, so I'm really excited because I'm not alone today. I'm actually joined by my friend and uh, an inspiring artist by the name of Shelly Poole. Shelly, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Shelly, tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into this crazy topic. Uh, tell us a little bit about the legend of Shelly. The legend! Oh yes. my goodness. Oh, uh, the legend. Um, uh, look, I live in the thriving metropolis of Kurenbong, uh, <laughs> which is one of the smallest towns I, I think I've ever lived in. But um, I am a graphic designer and an artist. I'm very passionate about bringing together faith and creativity and... I uh, do a lot of work with the South Pacific Division, the Media Center, and, and some of the conference conferences here in Australia. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, we're going to uh, talk a little bit more about that because one of the, one of the uh, beautiful things about being an artist is that it, it definitely puts you at a level of contact with the culture that is super insightful. So we're going to dig into that in a little bit. But before we do that... Um, I want to ask a ask a crazy question because I always like to start the podcast by asking something absolutely outlandish and, and often whimsical. Um, Shoot! So I just want to get your thoughts on this because I saw this on Mashable today and I was like, yeah. what in the world? So um, <laughs> <laughs> w- would you eat a glow-in-the-dark donut? A what? <laughs> It's a um, thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. There's I've, there I've are heard of like donuts. rainbow um, donuts and I think the pretzels or um, what's those ones that are not donuts? They're like bread, Jewish bread. But no, look, I I I probably wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I've got to think about oh like I had a bad reaction to some blue food coloring uh, bad memories several years ago and I'm like glow in the dark would probably just bring back all the bad <laughs> bad memories. Well, oh. apparently look apparently it's like a thing, right? Um from what I remember, uh I think it's a donut place in 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 Sydney actually. Awesome. I don't know if they're like the originators of this thing, but they're ca- they're called glow nuts. That's what they're called. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they they literally glow in the dark. Um, okay. And so, yeah, so you would not touch a glow-in-the-dark donut. No, I, I, um, I would definitely look at it and I would observe. I would be intrigued by the reactions to them eating it, but I wouldn't have the guts to do it myself, no. <laughs> well, um, maybe maybe if I told you what's in it, it might, it might help. Because I was interested. I was like, okay, this can't it be It sounds good. pretty toxic, It does. Right? That's, like- <laughs> that's what I was thinking. It was like... Um, you know what is that the, in the Simpsons where where they you know the the glow in the dark you know they they swallow all that chemicals from where Homer Simpson works and then they all glow in the dark. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen the Simpsons, so I don't know. But oh, it's um, been a while for me too. Sorry. I, I was I was thinking like this 
this can't be good. Like, this must be a public health hazard, you know, like glow-in-the-dark donuts. Um, but I'm pleased to announce after doing some research, uh, because I, I suppose in some subconscious sense I want one, um, <laughs> that they're actually not that bad. So I watched the video, and uh, and I got the instructions on how to make a, a glow-nut. And so it's uh -huh. basically you get a donut, an already-made donut. So uh -huh. um, if you're, like, into the whole vegan thing, you know, you can get a vonut. As they're called, uh, this is <laughs> this is All getting right. out of hand. There's so absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm so, googled some pictures on my screen, and I'm like, "Frig, this is real." Yeah, and look, you can like turn off the lights, and they just it's it's oh. it's weird. So you get you get the donut, yeah. And you get some frosting, and and so here is the secret ingredient that makes them grow. Uh, glow, mm -hmm. sorry, glow, not grow, glow. Mm -hmm. Um, it's actually thiamine from vitamin B. Okay, that sounds a whole lot less scary. Yeah, it's, it doesn't sound as toxic. Um, and that's it. So you get some vitamin B tablets and you crush the tablets and you mix them into the frosting, put Fire it on up. the donut, and kaboom, you got a glow-in-the-dark <laughs> donut, you know? Um, and the good news is if you lack in, you know, if you have, like, vitamin B deficient, then, yeah. hey, there you go. Get yourself it, a glowing donut and you can... Take two a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. So, um... So I don't know. I, I suppose under that, uh, it, you know, in that context, maybe maybe you would eat a glow in the dark donut. I suppose so. I I, I would I would try a piece, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not. I can't promise I'll be making some anytime soon. But at least I'm glad that people are not going to be just consuming radioactive waste from the local. Uh, uh, what do you call those things? The um. The power uh, companies or the uh, yeah. yeah yeah you know what I'm talking about those yeah, those dude. places that are always Toxic destroying waste something. Dump. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh. All right, awesome. So Shelly Pool, artist, graphic designer, might try a glow in the dark donut someday. Uh, <laughs> very cool. Hey, let's let's dive in. Let's talk about. I want to talk about evangelism mm -hmm. in a post-Christian uh, secular context. Uh, mm -hmm. Because this is a conversation that is raging at the moment, uh, mm -hmm. definitely happening within Adventism and and also in the broader sort of Christian world. And so I want to define what I mean by post-Christian, first of all, because mm -hmm. not everyone means the same thing by post-Christian. Yeah, so absolutely. My basic definition, at least for today's conversation, is I'm talking about the, the, the milieu, the cultural milieu that's driven by modern skepticism of religion, postmodern cynicism toward religion, and the emergence of, of metamodernism, which we can tap into a little bit more later on. And I actually think that might be a whole episode all on its own. So we'll see how we go. Um, so, but basically, that's the milieu that I'm encapsulating when I talk about post-Christian. It's this general sort of sense in Western society where people are just past the whole Christian thing because of these competing ideologies. Um, so I want to know, I want to start the conversation here. Um, is society, in, in your estimation, in your experience as an artist, uh, as, as a young person in touch with the culture, um, is society increasingly post-Christian or, or would you say, you know, we're only talking about a tiny substrate of society here. It's, it's not the, the dominant sort of idea. What do you think? Uh, these are massive words, Marcus. You've given me a tough one. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm just stewing on, on the three terms you, you gave me at the beginning, post-Christian, evangelism, and secular. And to be honest, they're, they're three words I would 
would normally not ever use. Yes. <laughs> to be honest. So, um, <laughs> I totally I agree. Yeah, but, so, but please deconstruct. Uh, so secular to start off with, I, I had a very compelling um, argument from a, a bloke in Germany who came to a Mission of the Cities conference here in Australia just a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And he, he said when, when you use the word secular to describe everyone else, it's like you, you create an us and them kind of thing. And it's it's not... It's not conducive to relationship building at all. They're they're people. We're all people. Um, <laughs> yes. So I, it's, I I understand what you mean by it, but I, I I wouldn't normally use the word and evangelism as well. Um, I like one of the buzzwords that's definitely doing the rounds here in Australia at the moment is discipleship, and I I think it's a positive move to be sort of almost swapping out the term. So mm. evangelism is is not so much as is isn't so important as much as discipleship because discipleship it, it it's it's more relationship rather than preaching at evangelism has connotations of we will speak authoritatively and they will listen whereas discipleship tends tends to have this this notion of look we're going to do things we're going to do community together we're going to wrestle with the Bible Bible together. We're gonna get to know Jesus together. So, yes. yeah. There's, okay. And the third one, post-Christian. So, I, I look. I, I, I've mentioned it before, but I, I think postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire because it, it's almost like raising up a white flag and saying, ah. Oh, it's all the secular people's fault that no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic <laughs> campaigns. Yes. Uh, whereas I, I honestly believe there are real needs that we can meet and mm. um, and people are interested in spiritual things. It's just we need to package things in a way that isn't so us and them. It's yeah, us, us together. Yeah. So post Post-Christian evangelism, secular. I, <laughs> I, I don't really believe in any of them. But I hate um, all those words. <laughs> no. no, look, let me let me pause you for a second, um, if I may, um, just to say, like, I totally, fully agree with you. And for for those who are are listening to this podcast, actually, um, I, I want to take the opportunity to challenge because, and I love what you're saying here, Shelley. Um, I'm I use these words, and I, I'll tell you why I use these words. I use these words because. Um, in at the Story Church project, uh, the the mission is to speak into the culture and leadership within Adventism, yeah. and these are the words that people are responding to. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm using these words, you know, in uh, the in-house titles language. and things like yeah, that yeah, yeah. to to sort of get people. You know, people see the title and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to learn something from this," and they click on yeah. it. But I love what you're saying, and um, because what it really shows is 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 how out of touch we actually are uh, because ideas like and we'll we'll extrapolate on this a little bit more as we go postmodernism for example you know mm. adventism is talking about postmodernism a lot right now um you know postmodernism is, is ancient it's like very, it's been around dead. since you know since yeah <laughs> since post-world war ii we're dealing and with the ghost of postmodernism we're absolutely. not dealing with postmodernism absolutely anymore. yeah <laughs> Um, and it's the same with, you know, like ideas like post-Christian or post-secular, etc. Like these are all terms. And, and I actually said this in the ebook that I wrote recently, How to Study the Bible with Postmoderns, that Christians talk about postmodernism way more than postmoderns talk about postmodernism. Like yeah, yeah. most of them, you know, like these are not terms that are in I've the I've even in heard it's an Adventist no. thing. Adventist thing more than like 
no one else actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> to deal with it anymore. It's just us. That's right. Yeah, we, we caught on forty years too late. Yeah, that's right, man. So you know, it's sort of a challenge, and you know, so like I'm using these words because it's what people within our context respond to. But at the same time, yeah. um, I hope that at least one of the takeaways from this episode is that it's the conversation is way past that already. Um, yeah. And and then hopefully throughout our conversation today we can extrapolate on some of that a little bit. Yeah. Um. So if you were to summarize the cultural milieu, um, in sort of your own words, uh, how would you summarize it today? Look, I uh, big questions, man. I, I can only <laughs> I can only speak with authority to our Australian context here. Mm. Like I I get that things are different. Um, like in the states and, and Europe, it, particularly in the church, I, we've got so many different flavors of Adventism. It's it's interesting, um, but I feel like post, the postmodernism, sorry, the postmodern sort of cynicism and like uh, sort of uh, given up or oh, there is no truth is is not really something that our, our particularly Gen Z and, and uh, millennial generations actually resonate with so much. We're, we're uh, fiercely optimistic. We're world changers. Mm. Um, but at the same time, we, 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 we recognize that, that, look, even though we're stopping using our plastic cups and plastic bags and, and we're doing our eco-friendly housing, it's probably not going to reverse global warming but it doesn't mean that we should stop like it's mm. it's this kind of pragmatic naivety or, or sorry pragmatic optimism or like uh, uh what's the word like there's certainly a sense of naivety in it like i, I, yeah. would, I would resonate with that yeah we've been born and raised on disney happy endings yeah <laughs> um and i honestly I, I i think that kind of belief that we can and we we, we should is is particular a millennial kind of um, thing. I've heard that uh, Gen Z are particularly politically driven at the moment. So whereas um, millennials might not even rock up to the, the, the voting booth, the, the Gen Zs are leading the charge in terms of action and, and, mm. and I guess what we would have called social justice and, and more millennial speak. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think in terms of religion in Australia at the moment, we're, we've got a really tricky context because um, religion is, it has been associated with some really hor horrific things in Australia. So, for instance, literally just yesterday, the Cardinal George Pell That's right, yeah. um, case is, has been released on the news. And, and like, this has been coming for several years. Like, Australians have known that there's something wrong with the, the like, sexual abuse cases in with the Catholic Church and mm. and religion and and um, it's it's got it's it's absolutely like it's it's destroying the the trust, I suppose. Yeah. With with church in general. Yeah. So I don't see it as as um, people are anti-God so much as there's been massive trust broken. Yeah. Um, I think also there's kind of a, how would you say, like, I, I think syncretism is the extreme that people are going to be worried about in the church. I think there's, there's a lot more cross-cultural dialogue, like with globalization, the internet, we belong to a global village now rather mm -hmm. than connecting with people down the street, we're more likely to connect with people on the other side of the planet. 
um, it, there's a kind of, um, how do you say this? Almost like a piecing together of, of bits and pieces, like a patch, patchwork of ideologies emerging. Yes, yes. Uh, and this, I, in, um, in the more sort of commercial world, um, my understanding is that the, the terminology is fragmentation. So, mm -hmm. um, whereas, whereas uh, a company would like identify a target audience and they would have like specific generations would have specific sort of um, needs and beliefs and values. What we're seeing at the moment is that because we've got so much access like on the internet to a world of ideas, a world of like options, like whereas at the supermarket 20 years ago, you just had to get whatever was on the shelf. Mm -hmm. If it's not there, we can just go out and get it. <laughs> um, order it online or if it doesn't exist, we can piece it together somehow. So. Mm. That like we just, it's it's a it's a different playing ground, a di different sort of playing field. So yeah, we're seeing this kind of. I think we're getting better at seeing the world through other people's eyes and that cross cultural dialogue, which I think is a good thing. Um, but I don't think the kind of Puritan ideals of Adventism are gonna be able to hold in this world. Like it's, mm. it, it's it's it's. Um, it's that kind of modern idea idea of of there is black and white and yeah there it's it just can't hold up anymore yeah and look I wanna I wanna hit pause right there because I, I wanna come back to that um what you mentioned there in 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 a in a few minutes um before we go on I just wanna drop um just on, under the assumption that maybe somebody's listening and then fully familiar with um post postmodernism and you know all that stuff yeah what it all means i just want to just take a, a minute just to drop a very basic sort of definition um there and um and i find it easiest to define postmodernism by contrasting it to pre-modernism and modernism and again this is very basic here guys and if you want to go much deeper you can there's lots of books <clears throat> on these topics articles etc and i'm not going to attempt to reproduce all of that complexity here but basically um, if you can look at, if you can say, you know, like ask a simple question, like how do people relate to truth, right? That's, uh, let me frame it in that way. Um, yeah. then, then we can look at three, three different, you know, sort of overarching ways in which people relate to truth. So pre-modernism, um, is, you know, think back to like the middle ages and, you know, even, even beyond then, but just as an example, um, Think, think to this idea that, you know, there is such a thing as absolute truth and that absolute truth in, in the Western context would be centered in scripture, in the Bible, in the church, in the priest or pastor or whatever. That's where you go for truth. That's the pre-modern ideal. And then, and then modernism uh, swept through the West and, and this was, you know, thanks to the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution. And um, it put a lot of um what's the word i'm looking for a lot of question marks on religion and the idea behind modernism is that there is such a thing as absolute truth but it's not in religion it's not in god but it's found in in science for example in, in academia and so people put their faith there hoping that through science and through technological revolution and advancement they could create this utopian world that religion had failed to create um <clears throat> and then um after world war ii the the world sort of and and look these are re this is like a really black and white sort of like you know block explanation so again it's, yeah. it's a bit more complicated than this but this is just to give people who are new to this yeah. a, a overview um <clears throat> after world war ii 
um, the, the, the sort of cultural milieu was science has let us down, right? Science promised utopia and instead we've just entered the bloodiest, um, you know, yeah. uh, um, era since the world began and not only has science advanced our capacity to care for one another and make a better society it's also advanced our capacity to destroy one another and for the first time in human history uh, entire generations were born and raised with the um with the with the knowledge with the background that we could annihilate ourselves because now we had the atomic bomb you know so this self-annihilation now becomes a thing and and so the culture sort of loses its faith in um, in science and, and it becomes skeptical towards science. And so now all of a sudden there is this, you know, people don't trust in religion because that failed to deliver. They don't trust in science because that failed to deliver. And that's where sort of the postmodern emergence comes in where it's like there's no such thing as truth and the world's not headed anywhere good and it's very cynical and very dark and very dystopian view of the future. Um, and so... It, it essentially that's you know like i said a very sort of tiny yeah in know, a nutshell. definition in a nutshell <laughs> um and so that you know and and that sort of postmodern ideology emerged after world war ii and was really dominant in the 50s 60s but it's it's not so much the dominant ideology today even though we're still talking about it as though it yeah. is it certainly still has influence but there's new things emerging and yeah. and coming to the front um and so I just wanted to give that bit of context for, for anyone who, who maybe was like, what is this? What are we talking about? <laughs> um, so let me let me ask you uh, another question, Shelley. Um, now that we, you know, we find ourselves in, as you were describing, we find ourselves not so much in a postmodern uh, society um, so much as, as I, I, I've often used the word bricolage, which you, you use the, the yeah. idea of fragmentation. Um, yeah. we, we find ourselves in this fragmented society, um, you know, just a, a plethora Look, of ideas everywhere yeah. and, and a yeah. sense of enthusiasm, but also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's, there's, there's a bit of the cynicism of postmodernism still there, but again, we see the enthusiasm of younger generations with social it's, justice. It's almost like paradox. Like yes. It's, it's like we're kind of, we've got some of the ideals of both the modern mindset and the postmodern mindset happening mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah. And it's, it, it, the truth like, isn't necessarily black and white as it was in modernism. The truth mm -hmm. isn't necessarily shades of gray as it was in postmodernism. We're kind of oscillating between the two poles and, and like, I love like analogies to do with color, but my, my ideal or I haven't, I, ha I can't really justify this so much, but the, the, it's almost like the truth might be technicolor. What if mm. what if it's what if it's not just that or or shades of that? What if it's so multifaceted and multidimensional? Like isn't that isn't that who God is in a sense? Mm. Isn't God so vast and interesting and multifaceted and multidimensional and and brilliant that that we like our brains just can't fathom in mm. in two-dimensional terms so um, like my my sort of na naive sort of analogy of truth is that yeah it's it's kind of like this this magnetic pull between two two poles but it's it's kind of forging its own colors at the same time um i i think one of the discussions that that the church really needs to have is is, is to pertaining to truth and I don't mean in the sort of like postmodernism has given up on truth or, or 
meta, uh, what's the word, meta narratives altogether. It's it like. For instance, I found this report a few months ago from Deloitte. So they're like a global consulting firm with high-end sort of um, corporates. And they do very good quality research. And they, they did a, a millennial survey back in 2017. And um, they, they asked them where they essentially believe authority lies. Mm. And that it was the, the question was to do with business leaders and politicians, but I, Again, it's to do with where authority lies. So, um, if um, if we can use plain, straight talking language, provide opinions with passion, and appeal to the fringe dwellers, that's what a millennial believes is like authentic and true, mm. and that is that is truth. Um, and it's a bit scary, especially having watched this whole Trump thing from afar how his plain straight talking language uh, provided with passion um, and um, he, he's appealed to sort of the uh, the country folk who, who don't trust the big guy or the institutions or the big business it, it's it's scary like there's there's a negative to this as well but but truth doesn't look like what a televangelist says on the TV it doesn't look like what a reporter says on the TV anymore. It doesn't look like what a what a man with grey hair says behind a pulpit. It's 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 about authenticity. It's mm. about um, being real. It's almost like straight talk is the new buzzword bingo. It's it's just let's just be real, guys. Uh, yeah. 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 No, I love that, man. And <clears throat> I want to I want to I want to hit at something that you were just um, identifying there because really. For those who are listening, um, we, we haven't used the word too much yet, but really what you and I are talking about at the moment, Shelley, is what, uh, what is what is referred to commonly in the sort of philosophical academic circles as metamodernism. That's, that's yeah. essentially what we've been discussing here for a while. So, what, yeah. you know, the postmodern cynicism has sort of died off and it's been replaced by this metamodern uh, bouncing back and forth between yeah, the oscillating. cynicism of postmodernism and the enthusiasm of the modern age and and there's there's no formula to it there's no science to it there's, it's not you know like when we often think of a paradox we th you know within the church for example it's we think of balancing yeah, yeah. We th we think no of balancing. it's not balance it's not it's balance not, yeah it's, it's not so on the fence <laughs> that's right um and so we often think of a paradox as balancing you know balancing law and grace or balancing the the no. transcendence of god with the imminence of god it's it's tensions it's, exactly it's sort of caught in two two different tensions at two different ends of, of the spectrum it's, yeah exactly yeah and so that's kind of what we're seeing in the culture today. And, and some of the evidences of that um, is, it, which we were talking about before we started recording, is, you know, for example, um, postmoderns, you know, rejected the idea of meta narratives, for example. You know, there is, yeah. there is no grand narrative tying the human story together. But and, now and we have the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Exactly, yes. <laughs> We've got one like global resurgence. universal story that yep. <laughs> like the box office globally is doing ridiculously out of like it's it, yeah. yeah. In in many ways and look I don't want to get into this. We all belong to this one is, story this again. This is probably a, a bit of a, a tangent that I uh, I think would take a lot of time. But in many ways, at least in my experience, I feel like one of the big shifts in in media that sort of led people down this um, resurgence of the meta narrative was was the Matrix, 
um, back in what was it ninety nine when the first one oh, came I out. love the Matrix. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I just watched the first one the again. The first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't really make sense of the other ones, but I I, I really enjoyed the first. Well, one. that's actually why I'm rewatching them because I watched them when yeah. I was a teenager, and I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit smarter oh, now, so I should just rewatch them and see if I actually understand them this time. <laughs> do, do you ever get that thing that happens where you like have these really strong memories of loving this movie as a kid, mm. and then you make the mistake of watching it as an adult? <laughs> And terrible. you're like, what? It's not as cool as I thought it was. Yeah. And you have a minor meltdown. No. Yeah, no kidding, man. My wife was actually talking about a movie she, she loved when she was a kid. I don't remember the yeah. name of it. It was a pretty philosophical movie, but she watched it as a kid. And um, I don't remember the name of it, but I think it's I think it was Pleasantville or something like that. Oh, yeah. And um, she used to love it as a kid. And then she rewatched it again as an adult. And she it's was creepy. like, wow, this movie's <laughs> sketchy, dude. Like, But it just like it kind of goes over your head when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, but you're right. You know, like we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is basically, you know, like the postmodern cynicism that we're headed nowhere, and and the end is, you know, this nihilistic end to humanity, and and this dystopian end, and all of a sudden you have the emergence of this, you know, this mythology that's sort of promising that somehow it'll work out in the end. You know, yeah. that there's a hero figure, and and it's gonna work out in the end, and. And um, at the same it time, it sounds very, very gospel, does it not? It does, yeah. And, <laughs> and to be honest, um, you, to be honest, and and I, and I won't go down this track either. But I, it disappoints me when you know within the church you've got entire ministries who are dedicated to just um, lambasting Hollywood and these and these and these films uh... because they they miss the point of what's yeah. actually being communicated there, you know, and talk about I... you know. These are idols that people are worshiping and stuff. Yeah. In a sense, there's a, there's a sense of truth to that, but there's so much deeper than that. There's a there's a thirst for enthusiasm. There's oh, a thirst yeah. for for a utopia that we we've given up on, and, and we're sort of returning to that. So that's one example. No, and, I you feel know, you. I think yeah. I uh, one of the things that I find like I, I like I come up against it every now and again. I forget these Adventists exist, right? And you know, I'm, I'm merrily going on my way and thinking, oh, yeah, the church is changing and, and what have you. And then I have a conversation with someone and I'm like, you don't understand that this is an analogy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a metaphor. Yeah. It's like how you're, you, it's it's the scary literalist kind of uh, doom, gloom, Armageddon stuff, that, uh, conspiracies. And I'm like, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is what Adventism looks like sometimes. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> I hear you, man. Well, for me, the tragedy is that when you're busy trying to attack something, you you lose the capacity to listen. Yeah, um, well and said. when we're busy trying to attack, that's the a tweetable me- look, tweet, bro. I'm I'm the first one to say, like, you know, yeah, some people could do with a little bit less, you know, media. Like, I, you know, I think we yeah, can all agree to that. Absolutely. Um. But when we spend our time, you know, just attacking, 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 we, yeah. we miss the the we miss the cultural heartbeat, and <laughs> and really the cultural heartbeat at the moment is, you know, we're headed nowhere, and all of a sudden it's like, well, we can't live that way, though. We can't embrace that we're headed nowhere. So there's there's got to be something out there, and and of course people are turning to mythology, the reemergence of mythology to replace that, yeah. and of course that's a bad replacement. Of course we want them to see Christ, but the point is that in that cultural shift. There's something beautiful that can be celebrated and capitalized on rather than just constantly attacked. But anyways, I digress. Um, 
Um, <laughs> unless I, you want to add more to that, that's fine. No, 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 no,
And I read the comments because that's where you can get an idea of the the audience that's watching it. And as I read the comments, yes. the comments in video after video, it was obvious that everyone, or at least I'd say, you know, a large percentage of the people who were watching and interacting with yeah. the content were already Adventist. I know. You know, I so know. I'm like, oh wow, you know, you got like is, thousands of is, views, but this is a systemic problem across yes. all of Adventism. We preach to ourselves. We yes. preach to the converted. We, we we put a little sticker on it that says it's evangelism. Yeah. But honestly, we're just having a really good time with our buddies and like mm. we're inspired. So that must mean revival, right? So, mm. ah, I, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, since we're on that already, let me ask you, um, where 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 does evangelism find itself in this in this cultural milieu or let me let me ask a, maybe a, a easier question to, to wrap our heads around um let's let's talk about turnoffs um yep. and, then, and then we can look at how do we redesign evangelism you know to, to be more effective in our modern age so let's talk it's about some turnoffs. Yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> what are some turnoffs that you reckon you know typical adventist evangelism um here are the things that you've observed definitely turn offs with, with the culture right. at large one of my pet peeves which is it's an old story but it's a true story the gloom doom and armageddon Im imagery as a graphic designer this just makes my heart sink when not just because it's like i, I don't care if we deal with bible prophecy or not that's not mm. the issue here it's that we represent religion as this kind of fantasy death mongering kind of weird ass <laughs> i don't know even I, I, and and but at the same time as using this ferocious visual imagery we say oh our message is about hope yeah we're all about hope and what happens is when your visual language and your verbal language don't line up your your audience calls bs basically like mm. it's it's not a consistent story it's not building trust in through in your narrative it's yeah. it's it sounds um like you're not really all there either like it, mm. yeah so that that's that's one of them um can i pause you for a second there because yeah. <clears throat> i i um ha huh, look i've i wonder about this and maybe i'm totally wrong but I, like, I totally agree with you. I think the way in which we do evangelism and the way in which we preach Daniel and Revelation is fundamentally um, unhealthy. Yeah, look, I, I think I think there's some interesting concepts there. Like, yeah. when, when you're, like, interpreting the Bible with such rich layers of meaning, it just, like, it, it that calls on all parts of me as an artist. Okay, mm. let's really get... Uh, rigorous about what what the Hebrew layers are here, or what mm -hmm. the what the the historical significance of some of these things has been. But it's it's this fear mongering sort of fantasy stuff that's ah yeah. Well, that's the point that I was getting at because when you look at you know if if you were to like if you were to look at a truly sort of postmodern art or film or something along those lines mm. it's it's generally speaking and postmodernism is complex so this is a generality yeah, generally speaking you're going to walk away with a deconstruction of reality that is ironic and cynical yeah 
And, much. and for me, that sort of the sense that I've walked away from so, from some of our prophecy seminars, you walk away with this yeah. sort of cynical taste in your yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that um, interesting? We have been yeah. postponed in a way. <laughs> it's it's almost well, like it's almost like we are actually uh, promoting the cynical <laughs> view of of, Look, of of the future well, while in, while pretending that we're not impacted by the culture and by, yeah. by you know by the world at large. It's like our evangelism has been impacted because, and it's almost like in in my experience as a pastor, it's almost like if you if if your sermons aren't cynical enough, some people are just not happy. It's like mm. if there was too much hope, if there was too much Jesus, if there was too much grace, <laughs> they get upset. But uh, if you go up there, you know, doom and gloom and cynical and ironic and you know yeah. dark and dystopian, it's like they walk away like, yes, this is what we should be preaching. Uh, and I'm like, no, this is not what we should be preaching. You know. Yeah. So anyway, it's a bit of a tangent there, but like I agree with you on that. I, like, yeah. I I, I really like I I genuinely try and get understand people's different perspectives on things and I, I find it very difficult to understand how people can think yes this is the right stuff maybe it's maybe it's like a nostalgia thing this is what we did when we were young and it was great we had these spiritual revival meetings that were like like or, or um what's the word you got like a youth rally sort of thing you're like a rally with a preacher and it, it was amazing and this this is what we did I I, I've also wondered if there's a kind of spiritual arrogance about this stuff. Like, Adventism is the only only denomination that that gets this Daniel and Revelation stuff right, and and so you guys need to listen to us because it's true, and the truth will speak for itself, right? Mm. So, I, yeah, I, I think I think a good dose of humility mm. would be beautiful. Back to your question about what are real turn turnoffs? Arrogance. Yeah. yeah. Spiritual arrogance. Um, I, I've heard a lot of, I mean, the, you know, one of the, tr the buzzwords at the moment going um, around the conference, like different church conferences, is relational. It should all be about relationship. And I, my, my hunch is that that has been a need for guys whose heyday was in the 80s and 90s. But mm -hmm. I honestly believe that kids these days need more than a friend. Yes. They need they need rigorous truth mm. at the same time as authentic relationship. It's a mm. both, not either or. It's like this meta modern concept. It's not either postmodern or modern. It's it's kind of both. Mm. Excuse me, I just have to cough. Ah! <coughs> so I, I I think when people like the oldies think, oh, we'll put on lights and loud music, and the young people will love it. Oh. I think started. that is one of the worst worst myths that, oh, that yes. we can be perpetuating, <laughs> um, and and that the discussion is still around worship music styles. I'm mm. like, seriously, guys, yeah. we're still we're still stuck back here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think we need to be like quite rigorous with our theology these days. Reason, mm. people have got access to knowledge like they've never had before in their lives. Like it. Yeah. it we can't keep just sort of saying it's true and therefore it's true. We have to give really good reasons why. We have to go deeper. We can't just keep relying on our Adventist mythology or mm. or common lore like it's like it's just we just take it at face value. We've got to make sure we do things like 
reference where we're getting stuff from. Yeah. Just simple stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, or, or just rather than assume that people are dumb, engage with them uh, as though they're they're sentient human beings who can actually think and have access to Google, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, there's so many things that you've said there that are brilliant. Like, I just want to summarize what I've what I've been able to to capture so far. So some of the turnoffs that that um that you that you've identified is number one um this sort of doom and gloom imagery that we often use and it's not just that it's doom and gloom oh, i would say other, that i got a, i got a button man the okay but in but and the other opposite end of the spectrum the cheesy like over photoshopped sort of happy happy <laughs> super green rolling hills super blue skies and fluffy white clouds thing not yes. cool either yeah i, I hear I you i think it's got to be <laughs> it's got to be a both not either all kind of grit rather mm. than than light and fluffy and daisies or doom gloom and armageddon i agree man like ugh. and i'm not talking about balance either i don't mean like a mishmash of like everything mm. boring i mean it's it's got to have some uh, it's got it's got to feel it's got to feel like it sits in this world, like yeah. rather than than a cheesy ideal of like clip art. Like it's, yeah. anyway. <laughs> no, Sorry, I feel continue. you, man. So, so the the art is definitely one of them, and I agree with you. Like, I think um, rethinking the art that we use, because the thing is, like, generally speaking, and look, this is like a whole other podcast on its episode on its own. But I wanna I wanna dive in here just for a second. I think generally speaking, the kind of artwork that we use is and and i'm not like you know an art major so i'm just speaking from a very basic you know speaking from ignorance here like a very basic level of knowledge so you can correct me if i'm wrong but generally speaking the sort of artwork that revolves around what we do is sort of very eurocentric um not necessarily (laughs) not necessarily victorian but certainly leaning that way all Um, right yeah that that sort of thing and it's my my yeah. one of my pet peeves is our our depictions of Jesus, and like there is definitely a part of me that believes, look, no one can do it, no one can fit God mm. in in a in a on a canvas. It just it, it's impossible. But it's the best fun in town. It's totally worth trying. <laughs> um, but our 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 cheesy kind of North American shampoo model with a bathrobe and a beauty sash. I white Jesus (laughs) has got to go people. (laughs) It's theologically incorrect and dang it. It's just creepy. Yeah. Uh, No, I hear you, man. And, and the thing is like, for the most part, because we are already religious and because we are already generally speaking, Eurocentrized, the art, we find it beautiful. We find it attractive. We find it doesn't bother us, you know. But like, for example, I had a guy who was coming to one of my churches, a very secular guy. Um, and he told me that someone at the church had given him a, a series of books with very, um, with the art, you know, and, and he described it. And I knew immediately that it was probably like someone gave him one of the versions of like Great Controversy or something like that from way back in the day. Had a lot of the sort of European style, Victorian style art where God is, you know, very angry and where every single person looks like a white guy from the 1950s, including Jesus himself. And, um, and people are like either burning in hell. You know, this is artwork yeah. that for a religious mind would have some level of significance but for him as a secular person 
he found that the moment he saw that art, his desire to continue to explore Christianity significantly decreased. Yeah. And, and this is where it matters because we can pontificate about whether art is cool or not or whether we like it or not. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is when a secular mind interacts with his artwork, what are they deriving from it? Because we all derive something from art. And for yeah. the most part, our artwork only speaks to us. And that's a testament to how we do evangelism, because like, as you said earlier, you know, most of our evangelism only speaks to us. We use words that are only meaningful to us. Yeah. We use frameworks and examples that are only meaningful for us. Yeah. And for the most part, you see traditional evangelism is full of people who are already Adventists yeah. with perhaps a few visitors who are already Christian and are exploring some of these things, but very little in terms of actually it's, connecting it's a, with secular people. It's a scary time. Like, so this kind of like, old school put up the tents or bring in the televangelist or or put on a big campaign sort of thing it's i it's it's almost like i i believe like rightly or wrongly my my sense is that most of the people who work at a conference level at a union level at a division level understand that this stuff doesn't work guys like mm. it the, we aren't getting the baptisms we aren't getting the leads where it's, it's preaching, they, they know it, but you've got lay people who are so passionately wanting to relive their glory days or see their heroes that they see on 3ABN or, or Hope Channel and, and, and feel like they've got a sense of purpose, which is, which is kind of in itself a bit selfish, to be honest. Like, mm. uh, I, I, one of the, I, I think it was David Trim I saw speak once, um, he said, when we put on these, uh, or something to the effect of, when we put on these big evangelistic campaigns and we think, oh, there's a revival happening, right? It's actually, it's, it gives us a sense of purpose. It doesn't actually do anything for anyone else. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree, man. And, <clears throat> and to, to, to sort of jump on one of the other things you mentioned, um, you're talking about like narcissism, um, yeah. in, in the way in which we approach, um, evangelism as well, which is definitely another like huge turnoff and i can i can testify to that because most of the time i think one of the things that people misunderstand about narcissism is that like the most narcissistic people don't realize they're narcissistic and and, yeah. and the most narcissistic type of evangelism is not self-evident that it's narcissistic you know um it, it may actually come across as really good but the I idea think... that we are there to be truth tellers instead of mutual truth seekers with the culture yeah is is sort of the foundation of 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 this hey come here to this building where i'm gonna answer all your questions so i can dunk you in water after you've ticked the boxes um yeah. it's it's a it's a method that in a pre-modern context works because in the pre-modern context people look at the religious icon at the at the preacher for example as a spiritual guru but in yeah. a modern sort of a contemporary context people look at the spiritual guru if you want to call it that or, or the yeah. religious icon they look at them with suspicion yeah and and so the moment you come in as a truth teller rather than a mutual truth seeker you've lost them and yeah for all the people who are already adventists and already in church they love it they soak it up oh i love this guy he knows so much he knows so much and it's like no one else cares you know yeah yeah I, the, one of the things, like you mentioned that the imagery was sort of more 50s looking, kind of cheesy, happy um, in, the, in the books that, you, you, that, this, that were given to this, this friend. I, what I'm seeing at the moment on 3ABN and, and even Hope Channel is uh, 
like a nostalgia for the 80s and early 90s. Mm. And it's not just a music thing. It's it's even like what they're wearing and the, the style of the, the, um, the sets they've got and the kind of... Um, authoritative speaker on television thing mm -hmm. and the call center set up yep. the call centers I look it's worth googling but I I'm pretty sure they started back in the in the 50s mm. like it was an advertising ploy in in America and and we only called up you know in true to form 30 years later <laughs> and we're still clinging on to that baby it's yeah. Uh, I, yeah this Hmm. We could talk for hours. We Let's could. Start. We could. Uh, we could. We could talk. You know, for those of you who are listening, we're fifty-one minutes in. I'm, my episodes oh, usually I'm so end sorry. Up, no, no, that's fine. My episodes usually only last about forty-five minutes. But for this particular topic, um, I'm 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 not necessarily putting you know being a Nazi about that because I think it's I think it's a big deal. I think we are tackling some of the foundational issues here. You know, the thing, the truth is, as Christians. And, and who've been Christians for a long time, we don't notice these things. We, we think it's okay. We think it's normal. And, and I think the importance about having a conversation like this is it's like, you know, it's like if you're in a room with trash, you stop smelling it after a while. You just become accustomed mm. to it. You know, it's that sort of, yeah, you just, you just desensitize to it. And I think in yeah. many ways, you know, we, we've been in church for so long and we've been at Venice for so long that we're desensitized to what's happening around us. We think it's okay. We think it's normal. And it's not that, you know, myself or yourself that we're trying to deconstruct and be cynical and critical of the church, but that we're trying to say, hey, guys, you know, um, here are forward. some things that we're, we're <laughs> so used to this stuff that we think it's normal, but we just want to point out <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> that maybe it isn't, you know, and this is a very real <clears throat> challenge that we have because the reality is that when it comes to reaching the culture around us, w w there's a huge disconnect. And at some point, we've got to be willing to sit down and say, you know, not so much talk about the theories behind why that disconnect is there, but talk about the nitty gritty down to earth challenges. And like you said, look, I flip on the telly or I see a video on YouTube and I look, I'm a committed Adventist, you know, um, I love the church. I love it. I love its narrative. So I'm here. But, yeah. you know, I jump on, on Facebook and I see someone advertising a video from a Christian channel. I mean, the very moment I click play and it looks like a set from the 1990s, I'm gone. You know, like yeah. I'm gone. Like I'm just not interested because if if and this is a very millennial and post millennial thing like aesthetics, if your aesthetics are ancient, then it's just a subconscious thing everything yeah. you have to say is outdated as well there's a lot and of data on millennials being very visual like we're less likely to read content than we are to watch it i think mm. i looked up the the average um time spent on youtube in australia per day by teenagers and or millennials is about two hours a day mm. Uh, so, oh, oh, that's another thing. Broad broadcast television's dead. The movies are dead, guys. <laughs> uh, move on yeah. from there. Uh, yeah. And here's the thing. Like, here's how I usually frame this conversation, Shelley. Like, yeah. I believe that a lot of the stuff that we're doing is still has, you know, it still connects with people who are not necessarily postmodern or metamodern etc because there's a lot of people in this world who aren't you know like not everyone in the world is 
postmodern or metamodern. You know, for example, the context that I grew up in was primarily migrant from South America and the Caribbean. And most people still had a pre-modern way of viewing the world. You know, that was that was basically how they functioned. They came from these societies that were primarily driven by um, Catholicism or uh, or what's that word I'm looking for? Um, um, I forget. But basically, you know, a very religious centric sort of ideology, yeah. very pre-modern. Um, and so I took my mom, who, who's from the Caribbean, from Puerto Rico, I took my mom to a, to a local church in, in Tennessee that was specifically designed to connect with millennials and postmoderns. And she absolutely hated it. And, and my mom's not like some fanatical, you know, traditional Adventist. She's very open minded. But yeah. she was like, oh, it made no sense. It, it made no sense to her because she's from that culture that yeah. needs a, a, a different sort of style and I'm okay with yeah. that like I'm okay that we have things that speak to that where I get disappointed is that we seem to have very little to nothing that is actually reaching emerging generations you know everything we seem to do is only uh, geared at reaching but this is where know, the biggest like I, I can't give you the stats in the states but mm. um, a couple of years ago McCrindle research which is like the equivalent of the Barna research group over in the states they do Christian market research in Australia. Yep. They did a faith and belief report. So um, basically gauging where regular Aussies are at with religion. And of the people who were uh, significantly open to changing their religious views, by far the most open generations were um, Gen Z and, and millennials. So one in mm. five millennials and one in five Gen Z of that extremely interested in changing my religious views group were like, yeah, uh, the, the scary thing for our own youth is that, hey, they're going to jump ship. Mm. But in terms of um, the biggest potential to engage, they're still formulating their worldviews. They're not stuck in their ways. Like, mm. look, if, if you're, if you're, 30 plus, there's a good chance, unless you've got some sort of life crisis in your life coming up, you're going to stick with whatever beliefs you've already got. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's the young people that have, uh, like, the, 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 that are still pliable in terms of, un, like, grappling with who they are and, and what God is like and what's, how does the world work and all of that. Mm. It's, it's got to be... We've got to redirect resourcing to young people. And I I would even go as far as to say teenagers. Mm. I know the, the buzzword at the moment is, oh, like like the trendy thing. Like the, the trendy pastor says we need to be focused on millennials. And millennials is a massive buzzword. But mm. it's it's too late for us. That's right. By the, by the time Thank the you, Shelley. Thank you. But, <laughs> thank you. The, by the time the church mobilizes its resources in one direction, we are going to be like into our 30s and 40s and families and already figured out our worldview. Yeah. It's it's the teenagers coming up that we've got to prepare for. That's right. Um, and uh, our, our school system is doing a great job of, of bringing, bringing kids to Jesus, but as soon as they get to like university age, mm. which which like we're we're hemorrhaging our youth. Like mm. it's we've got to stop. Like we've got to stop the the outflow. We've yeah. got inflow. We've just got to, like. It, yeah. uh, no, I hear yeah. you, man. And and thank you for pointing that out because I like I totally agree with you. Um, the the conversation on on reaching millennials 
is a good one, and I'm glad that people it's are nice. having it. But but the truth is, millennials <clears throat> millennials are already pushing forty. You know, yep. so Absolutely. like. You know, we're, we're, you know, millennials are not the new guys on the block anymore. Not, you know, there's the post millennials, even generation, way. even generation alpha, which is coming up. Like, if we are not careful, like everyone's fixated on millennials right now. And if we're not careful, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to be like, oh, it's, it's the Gen Z. Let's talk about them. Okay. And then they'll be pushing 40 by the time we figure out how to reach them. And by then generation alpha is already leaving. We're, we're yeah. always so behind, you know? Yeah. Um, but look, since we're here, since we've, since we've touched on this, um, we've deconstructed, we've challenged, we've questioned. I want to know um, from, from your experience and from your, um, from your passion and interest, what are some of the things we can do to redesign evangelism, discipleship, etc.? Uh, to connect with the cultural milieu uh, more effectively. So, so what are some things we can do? Okay, so I think listening to to our community, to to people, is massive. It's a big step we forget in terms of like resourcing, um, listening, like looking at the data. I, I, I mean, I'm not talking about okay, where are the most baptisms are coming from? No, I'm, I'm looking at where's the biggest potential for engagement? Where where are the literal needs rather than the assumed needs? And it's stuff that you guys were talking about with, with Daniel Blyden in the other episode. Mm. It, in, um, in Daniel's world and my world, it's called design thinking. In um, like an academic's world, it's called ethnography. In an everyday Joe Blow's world, it's just getting down on the ground, listening to, to what people actually need. It's empathy. Mm. That's the biggest thing we could possibly do. Act, like, rather than assume, we need to test our assumptions. We need yes. to look at the data. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more, man. Like, many times we get excited about evangelism. I've seen this in a lot of local churches, and we automatically assume, oh, let's do X, Y, and Z for the community. And it's like, how do you know the community actually needs that? So I think that's a really, really, really good point for redesigning evangelism. I want just, to... Oh, go on. You had something. No, no. I, I, it's just a self-awareness thing, basically. Rather than subconsciously actually ministering to our own needs, we need yeah. to, to to have the self-awareness to go, actually, that's me, not, not the, the person in my community that needs that. That's right. I, I want to touch on one more thing <clears throat> before we wrap up um in in terms of redesigning evangelism um you know it's it's not so much you know we t we think of evangelism people tend to think of an event and uh ev evangelism is not an event it's it's a way of life and it's it's the way the church should you know the church should be there's no off season for evangelism the church should be engaged in evangelism 24/7 uh, all year long but there's i read a very very interesting article recently and this touches on something you said earlier about our youth today needing uh, depth in in their theological journey. Um, mm. I read a really interesting article recently uh, by by another uh, example of the meta modern emergence. Um, it was about Jordan Peterson. Now, if you haven't heard of Jordan Peterson, then I don't know what world you're living in. Um, but Jordan Peterson is probably the most uh, the most influential and wealthy academic in the world today, and he's he's actually touring in Australia right now. Um, and uh, he's been in the limelight uh, for a few years. A college is from Canada. Anyways, the article was really interesting because whether you agree with Jordan Peterson or not, or whether you like him or not, 
Um, the point that the author was making is there's here's something we can learn from Jordan Peterson. And <clears throat> the point that he was making is when you look at the audience that Jordan Peterson attracts, it's primarily young people and they're primarily male. And and the point that the author made was that's the demographic. Yeah, like primarily like university age up to the 30s men. It's like that's the demographic the churches are missing. You know, like that's that's the one that's most absent. Like we're always talking wondering, you know, like where are our young men? Um, and and yet here's a here's a figure in in culture right now who's attracting this sort of demographic in numbers. And he said like what what is he doing? And one of the points that he made is that whether you agree with Jordan Peterson or not, or whether you think his ideology is 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 healthy or not, um, the dude is not shallow. You know, like when when he dives into a topic or a theme and he explores it. Uh, you know, we're talking about a guy who's going all the way back to Nietzsche and Hume and, um, you know, all these like really big, you know, thinkers in psychology and philosophy. He's, he's a huge fan of um, of some of the, uh, you know, sort of uh, psychoanalysts uh, from the past. And, and he incorporates a lot of this, um, you know, sort of ideology and wisdom from a lot of these great thinkers of the past into how he's addressing political issues today and 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 social issues etc cetera, etc cetera. and so again the point is hey you know you might absolutely hate everything the guy has to say but when he says it like he's not just brushing the surface he's going quite deep and and it's attracting young people it's attracting young men because they feel challenged and stretched by what he's saying and many yeah. times in church, we assume that it's the opposite that we have to do we in order to attract fluffy, young people. You know? Yeah, the no. warm fuzzies and the. Sh and I think that that's Kids probably. <clears throat> yeah, I think that that's probably a reaction to, you know, like cheesy theology is probably a reaction to like dry theology, uh, and we don't want dry theology either. But we certainly want to recapture the importance of of depth. Yep. and 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 meaning you know where, where we have theological yep. discussions and we're not just repeating the same old thing but we're actually digging deeper and 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 that's effectively what jordan peterson does and so this is the guy's point like you know this is something the church needs to start doing if we want to we want to begin once again attracting um the demographic that we're missing um so at, at least from my perspective i think that's certainly something we can do to redesign the way we do church to connect with the cultural milieu as it is right now I want to ask one more question. Uh, anyone here in this podcast and thinking, hey, this Shelly person is really insightful and really cool. I'd love to talk to her and get to know more uh, from her experience. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, best way is probably email. So design, D-E-S-I-G-N at ShellyPool.com. S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-P-O-O-L-E.com. Cool. I will. Otherwise, I will put that on the, on the show notes as well. No worries. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter and Facebook if you, if you want to hit me up. All right. Is that at Shelly Pool? Is that your handle? Uh, at Shelly underscore Pool on Twitter. Okay, on Twitter. All right, sweet. Yep. Awesome. Um, well, thanks so much, Shelly. I really appreciate having you with us today. Um, I've enjoyed our conversation. I hope those listening have been challenged and stretched. And I hope um, they're still here, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're still here. Uh, 
<laughs> believe you me they've been they've been uh craving craving this just as much as i have so um look if you really enjoyed this episode and you want to dig uh some more into this whole topic of um connecting with postmodern metamodern culture i want to encourage you to head over to the storychurchproject.com and subscribe to get the free ebook how to study the bible with postmoderns you'll absolutely love it if you enjoyed this episode you'll absolutely love that ebook it's free uh you just put your name and email and i send it straight to your inbox you can have it within a few minutes you can read it and enjoy it until then i will catch you next time god bless you and uh continue wherever you are in whatever space you're in to redesign adventism for mission god bless you guys Thank you for listening to this week's latest episode of the Story Church Project Podcast. I hope you were blessed. If you haven't yet had a chance, I want to invite you to head over to thestorychurchproject.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Not only will you get the latest updates every week, but I'm also going to send you a free gift straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss it. I'll catch you on the next one.